Hello and welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Chief White House Correspondent Jonathan Carl. And I'm ABC News Political Director Rick Klein. Uh, Rick, uh, we, I, I want to get right to uh, Maskgate. Uh, this was kind of an interesting moment. Uh, the Vice President of the United States visited Mayo Clinic. Uh, it didn't wear a mask. We know all that already. Um, and we know that the Mayo Clinic tweeted out from their official account that, it, that the vice president was informed that their policy is that everybody, uh, for obvious reasons, uh, at uh, the, the Mayo Clinic is required to wear a mask. Uh, and we know that all the pictures showed literally every other person there wearing a mask but the vice president. So I, we don't need to go over all of that, but I want to make sure everybody heard what the vice president's explanation was as to why he decided not to wear one. And I think Trevor Hastings in our remote uh, control room has that sound. I'm tested for the coronavirus on a regular basis. And everyone who is around me is tested for the coronavirus. And when the CDC issued guidelines about wearing a mask, it was their recognition that people that may have the coronavirus uh, could prevent the possibility of conveying uh, the virus to someone else by wearing a mask. And since I, I don't have the coronavirus, I, I thought it'd be a good opportunity for me to be here, to be able to speak to these researchers, these incredible healthcare personnel, and look them in the eye and, and say thank you. Now, uh, we, we can talk about the merits of that, and I don't want to dwell too much on, on this story, but I, the, the reason why I wanted to play that and open up uh, the podcast this way is that last part of the explanation, he wanted to look them in the eye. And I'm yeah. a little concerned, Rick. Is is does does the vice president think that the face mask goes over the eye, or does does he does he? I mean, what what was going on there? I'm wear, I'm wearing my mask wrong, John. I gotta I gotta do something about this. Uh, you know, I look. I I think this also gets back to a, a White House position more broadly that's been um, you know, contradictory on this point. Um, the images of the lack of social distancing up there at the at the top of the uh, of the podium at the press at the press room, um, I think, speak to that. Uh, and the president himself has even told reporters, "Can you take off the mask so you can ask a question?" And the guidance from the White House it's been contradictory at times. Um, and in, in this case, it's a, a vis- visual evidence of uh, of uh, a vice president um, and also a president who don't seem to be taking the same advice that's out there to the public. And when you, you couple that with the, the mixed messaging on, on how to reopen and how governors should be reopening, it looks like uh, on a political basis that you've got a president and a vice president who are trying to play a couple of different sides of this issue as these protests break out and their people are anxious to get back to, to normal. Uh, even some conspiracy theorists who say the whole thing just isn't that big a deal. So uh, I do want to point out that the president uh, clearly has taken uh, this seriously to the to the extent that he has taken uh, the advice of the healthcare professionals on issuing these guidelines, calling for the uh, you know for for, for the shutdown, uh, even criticizing Republican Governor uh, Brian Kemp uh, of Georgia for how he was opening up and opening up too fast and too uh, the president seemed to suggest too recklessly. So the president, we, we we can't say he doesn't take this seriously, but you have really pointed to something. It is important. Uh, the visual messaging has been often quite different than uh, the verbal messaging. And when I hadn't even thought about it, but you're 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 right that when the CDC first announced those social distancing guidelines, and the vice president himself has has held those up so many times at press conferences. But when when you know six feet apart, when that was first said, it was said at a at a at a briefing at the White House where. Uh, the experts were standing shoulder to shoulder and certainly not six feet apart. And when the CDC 
issued the guidelines recommending uh, wearing masks in, in public, uh, the president seemed to be very eager to immediately say, look, I'm not going to be wearing a mask. Um, but, um, <laughs> you know, uh, it's something else. I also, but, but I want to I stick to the vice president for a, for a moment here, if you don't mind. Um, this is not the first time we've We've seen him kind of go uh, counter to uh, to recommendations. And look, he's the president talks about how hard the vice president is working, about how he doesn't get any sleep. He's led this task force, and that and that and that's true. He's 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 gone around the clock, you know, seven days a week. He's he's led this task force. There have been um, you know some incredible things that have been done. Uh, the president often often mentions. Uh, getting the Javits Center facility up in New York uh, up and running uh, that that was seemed to be a, a Herculean effort. Uh, getting the, uh, the 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 Navy medical ships, the Comfort and the Mercy uh, to California and, and to New York. All of that on very quick, short order. Vice President leading that effort. But can we go back in time just a little bit to um, to last month uh, when uh, the uh, another thing that the CDC was recommending and was really common sense, let's be honest, was don't shake hands. Uh, let's listen to what the president, the vice president, had to say back then. Well, look, as the president has said, uh, in our line of work, uh, you shake hands when someone wants to shake your hand. And uh, I expect uh, the president will continue to do that. I'll continue to do it. Uh, what, what this is is a broad recommendation for Americans. Um, but a really good recommendation is to wash your hands often. Oh my! So I kind of, I'd kind of forgotten about that one to be honest. But um, but that was March 10th, uh, well after it was clear that you really shouldn't be shaking your hands. And and, and let's and let's let the record show that the, to his credit, the vice president no longer shakes hands, and neither does the president. But um, I don't know. It's 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 a little odd. The messaging. I, I think it, you're right. It's like it's a one message to the country and one message. To the element of the country that, that, that doesn't believe this is a true threat and thinks that these uh, steps that have been put in place have been a vast overreaction. Yeah, and this was March 10th. This is right on the precipice of when this became a true national crisis. I mean, it was, it was starting to come into view, but, you know, within the next couple of days, um, there was a real tipping point with all of the cancellations and uh, the, the, the uh, Oval Office address from the president uh, and, uh, and, of course, Tom Hanks' diagnosis, which was a, a kind of a key pop culture moment. And, and John, I mean, I, I think the vice president's role in this has been very interesting. I mean, I think a lot of us scoffed at the notion that he was put in charge of this task force early on. It seemed like a no-win situation. Uh, a lot of people talking about, well, maybe this is just a, you know, set up to fail so that uh, Trump can replace him on the ticket when the task force doesn't work. But he's been very high profile throughout this. And, and John, you, you got into a little bit of business with him this week uh, on this on this issue of tests. Uh, that's that was a that was kind of an interesting moment. OK, I'm going to throw a little bit of a curveball at our at our executive producer, Trevor Hastings. And I, I hope he's got this. I know the guy is just, you know, he's got his finger on the pulse, but I want to play the initial sound uh, from from Mike Pence back in um, early March. He was talking about their efforts to get testing out to the states. And he said, point blank, that there were going to be 4 million tests out by the following week. Let's play that sound. Between March 2nd and 5th, we distributed more than 900,000 tests across the country, including 200,000 that could allow 75 individual patients, 75,000 individual patients to be tested. Uh, as the Secretary of HHS just described, by tomorrow another 200,000 tests will be shipped, and by the weekend another million tests 
will be shipped around the country with the expectation that at the end of next week, four million tests will be shipped. So that was March 6th. And uh, Rick, to, to be clear that just, I mean, I don't know, testing has been a disaster uh, uh, for, for the last for the last month and a half, almost two months now. Um, and four million tests. Well, we just completed just just days ago. Did did we hit the four millionth test that was taken? And by the way, we don't even know if that's four million individuals. It's almost certainly not because several people, many people, have been tested multiple times. So, but four million total tests. We finally have uh, surpassed that. But uh, it took you know a month and a half after the vice president had suggested it was going to happen in the following week. Uh, so I asked him about this at the uh, coronavirus briefing in the Rose Garden on Monday. And I just, I want to, I want to play this exchange because I got to tell you, well, let's just listen. We sat here in the Rose Garden back on uh, March 13. And these companies were here. Some other companies were here. By my count, only 69 drive through test sites have been set up uh, by the companies that were here. I'm wondering if you, and, and of course, uh, Mr. Vice President, back in early March, you said we'd be at 4 million uh, tests by the following week. We're just now got there in the last few days. So what have you learned about what went wrong, uh, you know, a month and a half or over the last month and a half or, or, or two months, and what's going to go right now? What lessons have you learned from the mistakes over the last, uh, you know, month and a half or so? John, I, I appreciate the question, but it represents uh, a misunderstanding. Uh, on your part, and uh, and frankly, the a lot of people in the public's part about the difference between having a test versus the ability to actually process the test. So, um, a fundamental misunderstanding on on my part. I yep, on your part. Uh, and by the way, when the vice president said that, you, you got to take a look at the vice, at the president who's standing at his side. Uh, the way he looked at me and gave me this smirk, like ha ha ha, you just got called out, but. I really don't know what he meant by that, so I try to follow up. So, so when you said four million tests seven weeks ago, you were just talking about tests being sent out, not actually being being completed. I'm, I'm a little confused. John, I, I think precisely correct that in my first week on this job, uh, we were informed that HHS, I believe IDT was the vendor, Admiral Giroir, that had distributed a million, was distributing another four million. and. And we believe they did. But again, those were tests that, frankly, uh, but for the president's leadership, we'd still be waiting on those tests to be done in many cases because they were tests that were designed to be run in the old laboratory model. So, Rick, you went to one of those fancy colleges, right? Those one of those fancy universities. Uh, when, when you did, did it matter whether or not the test was given to you or that you <laughs> took the test or that it was graded? I mean, what, what's the... You know, I mean, so basically he's saying as long as the test was handed to you, you're fine. You're done. You can graduate, frankly, right? Frankly, just a massive misunderstanding on your part there, John. I, just I, a I, massive I, misunderstanding. I mean, look, the other, you know, the reason, another reason for uh, um, the president to smirk in that moment is that um, by talking about the, the system not being adequate, that's foisting blame on the previous administration, which has been another um, consistent refrain from this White House. And, look, we're, and we're entering a delicate period now. And we're looking back. I think we should be clear because that's important in, in how we move forward. You can't reopen this country in a responsible way without adequate testing. And the fact that you're still not at the benchmarks that were laid out early on, just this week, you started to get some federal national guidelines about testing. Uh, it's long been seen by the federal government as the responsibility of the states. And it still really is. And 
I, I, I think this aspect of it can't be un, can't be underappreciated. We need to focus on on where those tests go and what kind of guidelines are out for national testing if we're going to reopen in a responsible way and not get back to another another health crisis after reopening. Which is why I asked the question the way I did. It wasn't like, ah, oh, you terrible thing. Look at this. You, you promised this. You broke the promise. I mean, I, I asked, what lessons have you learned? Because obviously something went wrong. And, uh, you know, how are you going to prevent that from going wrong there? In the larger context, the, the first part of that question, I was asking about these drive-through test sites because I, I had this incredible feeling of deja vu because you had uh, the, the, the CEOs of, of several companies, including CVS and Walgreens and, and, and the testing companies, uh, and they were talking about how they were going to set up all these drive-through test sites. Well, back in March, just a little bit after the, pres- the vice president made that promise of 4 million tests, they had another – they had a press briefing in the Rose Garden, which is where that one was, and they had the same companies there. And this was where the president and vice president were talking about how Google was developing this, uh, this website where everybody in America would type in your address and they would tell you, you know, the directions to your nearest drive-through test site. And it never happened. I mean, the Google website uh, was, first of all, a company that was uh, a Google subsidiary. It was not Google itself. And it was uh, done as a, as a beta test in five or six counties in California and it never went anywhere. So it never happened. And, you know, you got the impression from that, from that press conference back in March that we were going to have these mobile test sites all over America. And now you have 69 in the entire country. Now, I have to say, all of that said, it seems to me like there have been incredible developments in testing uh, over the past couple of weeks. And I think that we are going to be at a place, and we've heard it from Anthony Fauci, that he thinks that by June uh, there will be, will be the place where enough tests are, are in place. There are, you know, uh, new tests that have been federally, uh, that have been FDA approved. Uh, our colleague Devin Dwyer did a story about uh, th- th- this company that has developed a saliva test uh, and, and, a, and has a contract with the Air Force to do 50,000 tests a day at a single laboratory. And they just sent one up like almost overnight in, uh, in Washington, D.C., and they're planning others around the country. There are, so, yes, we are making progress, but that's why I was asking what are the lessons you've learned? But if you can't acknowledge that there were any missteps besides the missteps that were taken by Barack Obama, <laughs> you know, three and a half years ago, maybe, allegedly, uh, I mean, come on. I mean, the, the, the one consistent message through many inconsistent messages at these briefings is we have done a perfect and wonderful job and the testing is just marvelous while, you know, we know it hasn't been. And, and I think the other theme that you've picked up on, John, at, at these briefings, and the president at one point said it, that you know, he, he's something of a cheerleader, uh, and that, uh, that, that he has been kind of hoping that things would be moving in the right direction ahead of where the facts are. And I think you saw that with, his, uh, w- with the, the, the hype that he had for particular treatments early on in, in the COVID-19 crisis, um, certainly with the way that he's described the federal response in this very robust way, despite a lot of information that's come out and that continues to come out. Uh, we're still in the middle of this, and um, the the temptation for the president to um, to take a bit of a victory lap or to just forecast where things are heading in the right direction has been a, a, an under uh, you know I think an an underlying theme to a, a lot of these briefings and a lot of the the, the, the federal updates we've gotten. 
Well, it just seems that sometimes he's seen it as a communications problem, not as a not, not as a health problem, right. or, or or not as much as a health problem. It's like, how do we get the message out that we're doing a great job? Um, so, look, we've got to take a quick break. When we come back, we are going to talk to somebody uh, who knows what it is like to handle a major crisis and to mobilize the government to deal with that crisis, and also somebody who happens to know Donald Trump very well to help shed some light on all this. We will be back in just a moment. Welcome back to Powerhouse Politics. We are joined now by Chris Christie, the former governor of the state of New Jersey and a ABC News uh, analyst. Uh, governor Christie, thank you for joining us. Thank you, John. Now, you wrote what I what seemed to me to be an entirely sensible uh, uh, approach, laid it out in an op-ed in the Washington Post on, on how to proceed from here. Um, first of all, can you give us your kind of like your your, your short uh, synopsis of what you think the next steps have to be? Well, I, I think the overriding uh, theory behind what I wrote was that we need to begin to restore the American way of life and that this cannot be just purely a medical decision, John. Um, the medical decision part of it is is just a factor to be considered. So what do we need to do? First, I would invoke the Defense Production Act in every aspect of it, on uh, every aspect of the of the um, uh, supply chain on testing uh, to try to accelerate that as much as we possibly could. Um, second, um, I think you got to analyze county by county data in each state and allow reopenings um, with certain restrictions. People are going to have to wear masks. That's going to become, I think, a part of our future um, until we have effective therapeutics and or a vaccine limit um, this the amount of people we could have in a particular place whether it be a restaurant or a bar those kind of things and um, we need to do that we we need to make sure um, that we're dealing with those things in a in a way that helps to, to to stimulate the economy because you know we're giving away an American way of life while we're sitting here if it were up to the medical professionals they'd have us locked in our homes until, um, uh, until we have a vaccine. That's simply just not possible. And it's not leadership to allow that to happen. I also do think that infrastructure is an important part of getting the economy going again. And given how low oil prices are right now, this is a time to be able to start to move on infrastructure. And that'd be a way to help to develop and give hope again to people. In the end, what we're trying to do here is give people hope and a pathway to getting out of their homes and understanding that it's not going to be without risk. There's going to be risk involved here. Well, you know, I, actually, I thought uh, on the infrastructure uh, piece of this that, that Governor DeSantis made a, a, a pretty interesting point in the Oval Office with, with Trump yesterday where he, he says, and I don't know exactly what's happened in Florida, but he said that they actually uh, ramped up some of the highway uh, construction uh, during this because they realized there's nobody on the roads. I mean, this is well, the perfect time to do those highway projects. And that's Let's, exactly what I said in the column, that it's the perfect yeah. time to do highway and mass transit projects because you have much fewer, many fewer people on mass transit now as well. And so this is the time to be doing these things and to getting a jump start on what we need. And by the way, the modernization of our airports might not be a bad time to start doing that as well. So I think there's a, there's a real opportunity here. And I, you know, I lay out a five-point plan in that post column, and I think – what it says is don't let the extremes govern um, our response to this. Um, the folks who think we should be locked in until there's a vaccine or the folks who think it's fine to get a massage right now. I, I think there's, there's a middle ground here to tread, and that's where we should be. 
Governor, give us some perspective on another piece of the debate that's starting to emerge uh, out of Washington over the, the need for potential bailouts or infusions of cash to state and local governments. We saw Senator McConnell uh, within the last week um, say that uh, maybe states need to go bankrupt. Uh, first of all, I think you can you can clarify that states really can't do that. Uh, but but also, what what do you feel like is necessary from the federal government? Is uh, when we talk about bailouts for a state government, who are we talking about? And, and what do you make of the messaging that says, hey, you know, states made mistakes in the past. Let's just make them live with it. Well, I, I think there's, again, a mid-ground here. I don't think we should be paying for the mistakes that states have made in the past. You know, I saw a number of people saying, well, maybe this is a time to allow states to borrow money from the federal government to be able to make up for their pension problems. No. The pension problems were not created by the COVID virus. The pension problems were created by overly generous pension benefits being given to public employees as a way of buying votes. Um, So we shouldn't be fixing those things. And if someone has an overly generous Medicaid program that they now realize they can't afford, well, you know, the fact is that, you know, we shouldn't be paying for that either. But what we should, I think, be helping states with is those things that have been caused directly by the virus. And what you'll be able to determine by looking to year-to-year data is what kind of tax revenue loss have they had. And with the states that have been particularly hard hit by COVID, uh, New York, New Jersey, California, Washington State, um, you know, uh, Michigan, um, for those states, what have been their increased costs to deal with, with the COVID virus at a very high level in their states? I think if you took those two things, lost tax revenue because essentially they were ordered to shut down their economies, and secondly, um, directly COVID-related costs, those are the kind of things that I think the federal government should help states with um, so they can continue to operate and do things that the president wants them to do, like run a testing program. Well, you can't do that if the government's shut down uh, because it can't pay its bills. So, But I also agree that we should not be paying for the sins of the past, and I'm sure there's lots of governors out there, God love them who would love to use this crisis as an opportunity to paper over some of the mistakes that they made or their predecessors made. Um, I don't think that we should be doing that. You talk about the the need to avoid the extremes in, um, in, in the response to this. There's also an element of the political extremes on this. And I just, I wonder from your perspective as someone who knows the president well, when you see the president's continued political attacks from the podium, when you know that he has been singling out, um, Republican governors for praise and Democratic governors for criticism. When you see the attacks on Nancy Pelosi that are, you know, often very only very loosely attached to the fact, is there still an element of you that gets frustrated by that, or is at this point is like this is what he's going to do, this is how he operates, and you may as well just live with it and adjust around it. I get frustrated by both sides. I mean, let's let's remember that um, the president has done some of those things, and I've said publicly that I think that some of those approaches have not been the right ones. But I also say that we've heard, you know, similar things from the Democratic side and attacks from Nancy Pelosi, attacks from Chuck Schumer on the president, attacks from Democratic governors. Listen, I I have great admiration for Andrew Cuomo and we work extraordinarily well together. But depending upon which day you watch his press conference, he's either flattering the president for something he thinks he did that was really great or, you know, he's attacking him. Um, well, the president, one thing you know about this president is if he, if he gets attacked, he's going to attack back. And so I think they've set up this culture and both sides are playing into the culture. I wish that both 
would take a deep breath and just say, okay, we've, where we disagree, we can say we disagree on certain things. But, you know, the broad-based nature of the attacks on both sides, I think, don't serve to comfort the public. And right now, part of the job as a leader in a crisis, which I learned during Sandy, is you're also the comforter-in-chief. And and if you don't do that well, um, folks are not going to um, follow you on some of the tougher things you ask them to do. And, and part of that is is projecting some optimism that you're going to come through the crisis. Uh, you know, but it's it's also the credibility of that you're you're honest about what you're going through. And what has been striking with the president from the, the very start of this is, you know, his his daily briefings are an exercise in self congratulations of, of of how wonderful he's handled everything. And I, I mean, the, the optimism about himself doesn't doesn't extend to. I mean, it, it's just it's just strange the way he does this. But but the other element of that is uh, the unwillingness to take any responsibility. And I, I want to play for you a little bit of uh, of a sound of an exchange I had with the president on Monday. Uh, at his coronavirus press conference, where I asked about what is a real problem right now, and, and hopefully it's a problem that is getting fixed right now. But but this problem with the second round of these uh, of these small business loans, uh, there, there's been a huge computer glitches here, and the banks are saying that they cannot process uh, these loans because of uh, of this glitch at the uh, the small business administration. Take a listen to how the president answered this. Mr. President, I wanted to ask you about the, uh, the, the payment protection plan, the PPP plan to help small businesses. Yeah. There have been a lot of concerns today with the website uh, just not working. In fact, we heard from the American Bankers Association saying that they are deeply frustrated and until it's fixed, uh, American banks will not be able to help uh, struggling small businesses. Do you know? You well, I just came out and I hadn't heard. I heard there was a uh, glitch. We'll find out whether or not that's so. Certainly, it did work out very well for the original amount of money. This is the second amount, and I'll find out about that. We'll find. We're relying on the banks to go out and do an accurate job. I mean, there it is again. It's the banks. We're relying on the banks, and there's no there's no ownership of it at all. Uh, e- even as there's there's these problems everywhere, we're hearing. He wants to congratulate himself on, on the last tranche and the last tranche. I mean, we're learning now. I mean, we, we don't have a list of who's gotten this money, but we're, we're learning that the Los Angeles Lakers got, got you know, got over four million dollars. Um, I mean, what 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 is with this? Why? Why can't he um, address this candidly, take some responsibility uh, and, 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 and vow that he'll take the steps to get it fixed? Well, I think, listen, the way I heard the answer he just gave was that he said he didn't know about it um, and that they would they heard there was some glitch and that they were going to be trying to fix it. And then he went into saying how well the the last uh, the last one went. So I I don't think it's necessarily fair, John, to say he wasn't taking responsibility. Um, He was saying he didn't know about it. He says we are relying on the banks to go out and get do an accurate job. Well, I think they are relying on the banks to go out and do an accurate job. And that gets to your second point. Right. Listen. Everybody wants two things to happen at the same time that are impossible to happen at the same time. They want us to distribute, you know, as a federal government, $350 billion of money immediately. And they also want it to be done without any mistakes. Well, it's not going to happen, John. You know, the fact of the matter is that there's going to be mistakes that are made. Now, the good thing is that these mistakes have been discovered. The Lakers returned the money. Shake Shack returned the money. There's been a number of Harvard return, never got the money, as it turned out, and said they wouldn't take it. 
there's going to, I think Secretary Mnuchin has done a good job on this by saying there's going to be an audit function on this afterwards. But you can't say, I want the money to get out as quickly as possible. And I heard a lot of questions from the press about why isn't the money getting out there sooner? People need it right now. We have to move quickly, all of which is true. But what you have to understand with that is it is not going to be done perfectly. And that the legislation wasn't written perfectly because it was written quickly. And a lot of people who maybe we thought shouldn't qualify for these loans or forgivable loans wound up under the language technically being able to qualify. And they've got all have lawyers and accountants who are reading this language and saying, yeah, go for it. You qualify without get, without concerning themselves with the the ethics of whether they should take it or not. Well, in retrospect, we'll be able to fix that. And I think that one thing this president has shown he's really good at is when he thinks someone's done something wrong, he's no not hesitating to shame them. He certainly shamed Harvard um, and shamed some other some of these other groups, the Lakers and others, into giving the money back. So I think part of it is people have to have realistic expectations, and that may be where the president has failed. You, you got to be able to say we're going to do this as quickly as we can, and we're going to try to fix mistakes that occur as we find out about them. But you're not going to be able to do both at the same time. I remember during Sandy, John. There were people who defrauded the system for, you know, on rebuilding of homes. Um, now, what, what should we do? Should we hold back the money first to make sure that no one's committing fraud? Or should we count on our law enforcement and our auditing ability to catch the frauds afterwards? We decided to do the latter because I wanted to get the money out the door quickly to get homes rebuilt. I think they're doing the same thing on PPP. And we have to be ready for that. You can't have it both ways. If you don't want any mistakes, we're going to have to go much slower. But I don't think that's helpful to the economy. I think we should err on the side of getting the money out there and then trying to recover money that's been taken um, wrongfully. Governor, handicap the politics of of all of this, if you can, for us. We're now six months before the election. And I I have talked to to Democrats and Republicans that have diametrically opposed views of of where this all lands. There are Democrats who are saying we can't let the president continue to dominate this every day. At least he's showing leadership. Uh, even if he's uh, contradicting himself and maybe hurting himself in other ways. I've had Republicans say this is great for Trump. I've had Republicans say this is awful for Trump because it showcases uh, leadership that's almost impossible to, to succeed in. How does he emerge from this? How do you see the landscape now six months out? Do you think the president's reelection prospects are brighter or dimmer um, based on the events of the last six weeks or so? As to all of the things you just said, I say yes to all of them. Um, the fact is that no one knows how this is going to play out. This is the most unprecedented thing that's happened this close to an election in my lifetime. And we don't know how it's going to play out. I have said all along to the president that I think him being a regular presence um, in press availabilities is, is fine. And, and I think the country does want to see their president, but I don't think they want to see him for an hour and a half or two hours. And I don't think they want to see him Quite frankly, and I don't mean this as an insult to John, but I don't want to see I don't think they want to see him lowering himself to bicker with the press. You know, he's there as the national leader right now in a national crisis. He shouldn't be bickering with the press for an hour and a half or two hours every day. And I've told him directly that I think it's a mistake to do that. Um, I think it's a mistake to be out there for more than 10 or 15 minutes. Make whatever announcement you want to make that night or that night. Emphasize whatever you want to emphasize. Take two or three questions and adios. Um, Turn it over to the vice president and the other people from the task force who are there to answer technical questions and move on. Um, Because I don't think it helps. Now, on the overall politics, 
listen, I, I, if I were the Democrats, I'd be really happy right now that Joe Biden's in the basement. Um, I, I don't think he's a ve- I don't think he's performed extraordinarily well um, during all this. Um, and I don't think there's really a space for him at the moment. I, I think it's I think it's to the Democrats advantage um, to not have Joe Biden out there right now facing scrutiny on a whole bunch of these issues and others. Um, I think it helps them not to have him out there. Um, and I think the president is the president. So you're going to have to um, he's going to use the bully pulpit. Sometimes he's going to use it well. Sometimes he's going to make mistakes. Uh, but Republicans are going to have to live with that. They've been living with it for three and a half years. They're going to have to live with it for the next six months. But I think anybody who tells you they know how this is going to look in September is completely full of it. No one knows how it's going to look. And we're just going to have to play this along. And And I think the best thing for the president to do is to get the country back open and moving as quickly as he possibly can um, and to give people a vision and a hope for what the future is going to look like. That's what leaders do. That's what people want presidents to do during a crisis. And if he does that, um, he'll have a much better chance of being reelected than if he does not. Well, Governor, we like predictions and we like to uh, to, to say how things are going to look, but I can promise you we won't in this case. <laughs> yeah, no, I totally, no I totally, I totally agree with you. Hey, before you go, just a very quick, uh, uh, if you have a take on this, what, what, what was your take on, on Vice President Pence not wearing a mask while he was at the Mayo Clinic? And their, their policy, obviously, is everybody wears a mask. He's the only guy in the entire complex that's not wearing a mask. What did you make I, of that? Listen, I think everybody should wear a mask all the time right now. It's just the way it is. And I understand it's uncomfortable. You know, I don't like wearing them. You know, I was out yesterday to go to the supermarket and had the mask on. And I'm getting older, so to read things, i got to put reading glasses on. Then my reading glasses are getting fogged up. Like, listen, it's a, it's a, it's a pain. But you know what? The mask is on so you can protect others. The exactly. mask doesn't protect you. The mask, the mask protects others. So to me, the most giving thing that anybody can do is to put a mask on um, because you're protecting others by putting your mask on. And you would hope that others would wear their masks so they can protect you. I think it's just a reality of American life and probably will be a reality of American life until we have either an effective therapeutic um, or a vaccine, um, because otherwise we're putting people. Whereas these are the things we can do, John, to open our country. Um, is the is to sustain the inconvenience of wearing a mask in order to open up our country and to make others feel safe. Um, I think it's a small price to pay. Example. I mean, really, uh, to, to set an example for the rest of the country. All right, I think what leaders may... do. That's exactly. Uh, Governor Christie, always great to talk to you. Thank you for coming back on Powerhouse Politics, and we'll be talking to you again soon. Fellas, always great to be on with you, and thanks for having me. Great. Thanks, Governor. Thanks, guys. Um, so, uh, Rick, uh, that was a direct answer on 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 Pence. I I, I thought was uh, I thought was interesting, and I think that, that, that there is, you know, look, the, the, the what the vice president said is that he is tested frequently for coronavirus, so he knows he doesn't have it when he walked in. Well, that's great. I mean, did they give him a test the minute he walked into the Mayo Clinic? Did he have a test before he got on Air Force One and flew in and traveled to? You got, I mean, I don't know. I I kind of doubted. I know he gets them regularly, but he doesn't, you know, I, I don't think we saw him getting a test the minute he walked into that clinic. So anyway, look, um, I don't want to dwell on it, but, but, but it, I thought it, I thought it was a moment and, and people, people see things and 
symbolically, you know, this, you know, you're, you're sending out, like you said at the top of this podcast, there's a visual cue, a visual message uh, that is set. That's right. And, and, it's, and that's part of what leadership is as well, right? And, and, and I think it's also, you know, recognizing that um, a lot of the vice president's performances like Dr. Fauci, Dr. Burks, there's an audience of one. And because the president has said publicly that he's not going to wear a mask, the idea of the vice president wearing a mask would have raised eyebrows in a different direction. Uh, we do remember that the first lady did appear in a mask on the very day, I believe, um, on a PSA, on the very day that, um, that the president said he would not be wearing a mask. So those visuals do matter. And I look, I think if you, you know, if you can imagine this happening under the presidency of a George W. Bush or Barack Obama or a Bill Clinton, uh, I think I think we'd have different signals. We'd have much different um, interactions. We'd have much different leadership. Uh, that is what we that is what we get. And I think look, I think Governor Christie's point about the the politics uh, falling into place around the leadership moment is, is apt. We don't know how it ends, and I you know I, I can ascribe to any one of these theories. They're definitely paranoid Democrats and, and worried Republicans and, and everything in between at this moment. Um, the the fact is that we're still in it. And um, the, the decisions that are being made now, the signals that are being made now are going to have a lot to say about how long it lasts and uh, a lot to say about what the country looks like on the other side. That is it for this edition of Powerhouse Politics. We will be back soon. But you didn't mention my book for the entire podcast. I mean, is that really is, is it really old news for you now? I mean... I mean, are you still in the front row with the Trump show? If you're still I'm there, I'm still the front. You know, and, you're and, still. And, and, the, you, I feel like you don't even need the hype anymore. You're you're, you're selling. I mean, uh, we're still on the we're still on the bestseller list. We're still we're still on the New York Times bestseller list. Three straight weeks going into four. I mean, uh, but uh, uh, you know, and, and the, the book remains more relevant than ever. And you don't even mention it for the entire podcast. I, um, I, I'm remiss in my lack of mentioning once again. Um, um, I, <laughs> can you show I, the can, cover for, for all our, yeah, all, yeah, all our I'm listeners? showing it. I'm, I'm okay. Showing okay. It. That's I'm good. That's right good. Now. That's fine. Um, I, I'm showing you right now. And I, I is, can you buy them? Can you buy them? Where, where do you get them? It, it turns um, out Amazon has them back in stock, but, but here's Amazon the other, here's a little bit of breaking news that I will give, I will give you and our, and our listeners. Uh, there is going to be an event, and this is this is going to be must-see Instagram. There's going to be an Instagram live event tomorrow, Thursday. That's Thursday at 8 p.m. Cecilia Vega is going to be interviewing me about the book on Instagram live. I know you'll be there. You're an active. You've been on Instagram for what, like seven years or so? I just I just uh, found my login, and, and there's a cute puppy <laughs> picture that you've posted. I've noticed on there. Yes, um, the, 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 my, my, my new puppy may make an appearance. Uh, that's 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 the extent of the tease. Uh, but look, uh, we will uh, we'll, we'll we'll make this work, and uh, it's, I'm looking forward to talking to Cecilia. And I hope y- you can submit a question through through the Instagram app. I right? can. If you can figure I can? it out. Yes, okay, can. Good. Yes. All right, all right. Yeah, and, I, and, and Cecilia is moderating. We'll see if she decides to uh, to, to bring the question to me. But, I want uh, it. You got it. All right, all right. Thank you for listening to Powerhouse Politics. Thank you to Avery Miller and Trevor Hastings. We will talk to you again next week. <laughs> 